Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Vijay Mehta, who is an author and peace activist based over in England, and he is chair of Uniting for Peace and founding trustee of Fortune Forum Charity. His books include United Nations and Its Future in the 21st Century, Arms No More, The Fortune Forum Code for a Sustainable Future, The Economics of Killing, and Peace Beyond Borders. His latest book, which we'll be discussing, is called How Not to Go to War, Establishing Departments of Peace and Peace Centers Worldwide. Vijay Mehta, thank you for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Uh, you're welcome. So what is the what is the basic of, uh, idea of this book, How Not to Go to War? Can you possibly really mean how not to go to war ever? The idea came about that the war departments, or what we call them defense departments now, are institutions. They have been institutionalized. So un- unless and until we do not institutionalize peace, have a cabinet minister at a senior rank, in the government, we cannot really work for peace. And and uh, the main purpose of that department will be prevention of violence and conflict, uh, and, or making it as the central policy uh, agenda in in the in the government. And also, departments of peace will be instrumental in generally building a culture of peace. And I hope they become a catalyst in stopping the military engagement in violence and and permanent wars, which uh, uh, World Beyond War is uh, doing a magnificent job in U.S. and around the world. Uh, thank you. Yes, the agenda of World Beyond War, which I work for, lines up very well with uh, the agenda of this book. Um, how... Uh, uh, how are these peace centers and departments of peace uh, to look? Do, do some already exist and are some in the works? And uh, how do we create yes. such a thing? Yes, yes, yes. There are departments of peace in five countries in the world, like in Solomon Islands, South Sudan, Costa Rica, Ethiopia. And Nepal as well. Nepal is important because they had an insurgency between the moist rebels and and the, and, and the military. And now because of the establishment of Department of Peace, there is calm and relative peace and people can get on with their job or take their, their kids to school and uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera, and roam around in the society without any fear of getting killed. And the other two uh, departments for peace, which I would like to flag out, are Costa Rica and Ethiopia. Costa Rica, have you ever uh, wondered why Costa Rica always comes first in the Happy Planet Index? <clears throat> Maybe because, because its its military is where it ought to be, <laughs> in a museum. Yeah, exactly. Because it abolished this military and the money 
each, each and every country spends on armaments and military and barracks and etc., etc. Now they're spending on peace, environment, jobs, health care, etc. And, and that's why its citizens are happy. And way down where we are speaking from your country, way down, the United States is 108 in that number. And and now let me talk about Ethiopia, that only the Ministry of Peace was established only last year with this great leader, Abiy Ahmed, <clears throat> who is, a, like you and me, is a peace activist. And once he became prime minister, he done one or two remarkable things. First of all, he, in the ministry, he appointed a senior minister to be the cabinet minister for Ministry of Peace. Secondly, he appointed all women or most of the cabinets as women. Thirdly, he uh, brokered peace with his neighbor, Eritrea, a, a war which was going on for 20 years. As soon as he became prime minister, he said, come and sit down with me, let's broker peace. And now with that, with the result that embassies are open, visas are being granted, and citizens of both countries are working and trading with each other. So you can see why I'm advocating departments for peace, because they have got such a tremendous positive effect on the economy of the countries and the people. So let me ask a, a little bit of a devil's advocate uh, question here. <clears throat> it, it seems to me that that Ethiopia first got a president interested in peace and then got a department of peace. I, I could imagine uh, Jeremy Corbyn becoming prime minister, and I think there should be a general election right away to make him prime minister and establishing a department of peace. Um, but the the United States... Uh, has nothing but warmongers in its White House and in its Congress, uh, and it has a U.S. Institute of Peace with uh, its funding weapons makers carved in stone in the in the lobby uh, that it, it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't actually oppose any wars. Don't you don't you have to have an entire government aiming at peace uh, rather than just one department where all, well everybody else works for war? Let me answer your both parts of your question. But Jeremy Corbyn, whom you mentioned, has given an excellent endorsement of my book. And also that it's well known to me because we, in the CND, which I'm a director, we used to campaign for nuclear disarmament, where we used to share platforms, work together, speak together at conferences. And he's, he's a peace activist, like a like, uh, uh, both of us. And he's uh, got it in the Labour manifesto that when Labour comes into power, he's going to establish a, a, a Department for Peace or Ministry for Peace. And he's already appointed the Shadow Minister, Fabian Hamilton, Member of Parliament from Leeds, who's also a friend of mine, and as a who will be the next Minister for Department for peace and disarmament. So that is a positive story that it actually might happen. And if it happens in a major country like UK, 
with the fifth biggest economy in the world, then smaller countries will naturally follow. That is the story about the UK. Coming to United States, I mean, the history of United States has been, as, as you have read my book, and I always try to quote United States because I want to have an influence there to make United States from a war-monging country to a peace-loving country, as you and your great team of World Beyond War is doing in the United States. So, why that it's a, the Department of Peace has a history in the United States that is 150 years history with two persons, African-American, Banneker, Bush, and also the physician from Philadelphia. Uh, I, I think his name was Benjamin Bush as well, and Bush, uh, the Banneker is... So these two people wrote an article about Department of Peace, that if we have a Department of Peace, we will not go to war. And that attracted the attention of Thomas Jefferson, who who was the principal author of American Declaration of Independence. But even with his warmth and everything, it did not happen. And after that, after the Second World War, it brought the attention to Franklin Roosevelt, but that didn't happen. 85 bills were introduced in the U.S. Senate. Uh, It didn't happen. So we have got a history of uh, these Department for Peace bills. Remember when the first the idea came uh, because uh, the Red Indians were being extremely uh, were being killed to possess their lands, etc. That's how America, the brutal American history is. So, so I think we should come back to modern times and see if we can make an effort to establish a Department of Peace. I believe, but I haven't got evidence, there are 51 organizations or chapters still in the United States who wish to establish a Department for Peace. So I think we have to work with them and see how we can bring peace in a country like the United States, as you very rightly said, all its senior uh, posts, uh, all its senior members are um, war mongers, and and uh, you can see what's happening in Venezuela. The country is being taken to ransom by U.S., and who knows, they might declare war any day. I hope it doesn't happen. But you can see there is lots and lots of work to be done in the United States. Well, that I have no disagreement with, uh, and I think the effort is is beneficial even when it's just educational. Um, Jill Jill Stein was a Green Party candidate for president in the United States and had a shadow cabinet, and I was I was the Secretary of Peace, and we put out statements uh, about what a Department of Peace would do if it had any power, but they were so far removed from anything under consideration by the actual U.S. government. Uh, mm-hmm. 
if there were a Department of Peace now in the U.S. government working for peace in Venezuela, it would be working against several other agencies of the U.S. government. So uh, it, it would be it would be work to integrate it into the existing structure. But but I think if other if other countries take the lead, if if the U.K. and Canada and other countries get departments of peace that actually work for peace, uh, that would certainly be a good influence. Absolutely. I, I would totally agree with your comments. Just to say that you have this uh, Dennis Kucinich, who also advocated uh, uh, for the formation or establishment of Department of Peace in, in U.S., and he introduced the bill to the Congress. It didn't pass, but at least we have got reflection of people and, and congressmen and senators who are in favor of establishing a Department of Peace. Yeah, I... I, I agree with you that we live in a paradox world, a paradoxical world, in which there are war mongers and then there are peacemakers. So it's a, it's a question of us in the peace movement having a bigger traction. In other words, our efforts can only be fulfilled if we work in unity. You see, the, the, the difference is the departments of war or defense are fully funded and they have got, uh, and there are 25 million soldiers worldwide. Yeah. They and are... they have weapons and yeah, military equipment, etc., etc. Just that we lack all these investments in the peace business. Although, after saying that, two of the biggest peace builders of the 19th century, and Fred Noble and Andrew Carnegie invested very heavily in peace. So we do need to look for modern versions of them who can really say enough is enough. The world is in a chaos, the world is in a turmoil from all angles, from climate change, from human rights, from uh, uh, from crimes. You can see how much youth crime is. I mean, I live in London, and it was never like that. I used to walk the streets of London at 2 a.m. in the morning. I just can't do it anymore because London has become the nice capital of the world. It has surpassed New York and other cities. So if we have to bring some kind of sense to our world, then we do need to adopt not only departments for peace, but also peace centers, because these peace centers will be focal points of local peace activism. They will be, along with social enterprises, which I have, uh, or, or peace entrepreneurs, which I have uh, advocated in my book, will they, strength, they will strengthen society, they will strengthen a peace-based, that's what we need, a peace-based society transforming the military-industrial complex into peace-industrial complex. That's that we have to do. And unless unless we don't do through uh, grassroots movements, as you are doing, and, and, and also the, at the governmental level, uh, and if you carry on doing it, and then, then we can create a momentum. 
I think I think the time is right for us because of what's happening around the world. I mean, the, because of the nationalism and populism and racism and xenophobia, they're all on the increase. And if we are not alert, if we are not on our toes, then the world is just going to collapse in front of us. And our future generations will certainly will say what our fathers and forefathers were thinking or doing. Could they see it coming? So we have to take responsibility and do it in, a, in the best possible way we can. Or there won't be future generations to look back on how stupid we were. Uh, we're, we're speaking with Vijay Mehta, whose new book is called How Not to Go to War. Uh, I, I wonder, Vijay, why you think there haven't arisen any Andrew Carnegie's uh, or Alfred Nobel's willing to put their massive uh, ill-gotten gains uh, into peace? Uh, do we need first to establish a, a, a broad peace culture where peace is more acceptable and respectable? Or uh, or do you have expectations of finding some some plutocrats uh, with an interest in peace that, uh, that used to exist uh, 70, 80 years ago? Sure, sure, sure. Very valid points you have made. The, 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 the today's culture is celebrity culture, militaristic culture, where our gods are actor actresses or or people who have made huge amount of money, uh, like Amazon and all the others where um, bosses. The, 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 the problem is that they are somehow the other under the grip of the right-wing agenda. When, uh, for example, I just give you now, next month is the election in India against a BJP party, which is Narendra Modi's party, and Rahul Gandhi, which is a Congress, which is a bit more sensible party, shall I say. The 70% of the money Never ever created in India has only been <clears throat> created by the right-wing BJP party. So I'm just making a point. And the similar effects we are having in Brazil, in Turkey, of course, I don't have to speak about the U.S., with Trump and all the right-wing leaders, Duterte, and etc., etc. How... We, we are in a, maybe we are in a turning point of history. This was going to happen, and the world was going to explode, not in a big way, but in a, in a way, and then come to its senses. Because I see the world like a circle. So I think we are turning that circle into more and more populism, nationalism, and towards a culture which is bringing us to a real or it looks like ending a war uh, or starting a third world war, I don't know. It's a phantom-like situation. So we have to see, but I would say also something, that there are sensible and uh, intelligent people who 
do not wish the world to finish because, after all, where are they going to spend their wealth? Tell me. And and because of that nature or, or the divisive nature of our society, we just have to see or keep trying and trying and trying till we find donors who are going to stand up with us and say, ah, these people are doing something fantastic. They are trying to have a sane society. They are trying to build a world of peace and a and sustainable future. They are the ones who should be backed with our support and money. And I think, uh, personally, the people are out there and we have to just... Uh, uh, just search for them, and and we will get. That's my belief. <laughs> well, when you find them, please mention World Beyond War. We would like to, we would like to meet those uh, generous donors. Um, the 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 book uh, VJ Meta, your your book How Not to Go to War has uh, a number of different sections uh, and uh, some uh, ideas that I found really wonderful, including one about how to rethink uh, how people talk about economic growth and, in, in particular, the gross domestic product. Can you uh, briefly give people an idea of what you think is wrong with how the GDP is talked about? Mm. What's wrong with GDP is that when we buy armaments, weapons, tanks, army planes, etc., etc., this goes on the positive or income side of GDP, which is gross domestic product. And, and the, the founder of that was Kuzovic, the, uh, the economist. And he was of the idea that he was the inventor of uh, GDP. And he was of the idea that the negative part of uh, spending, the government spending, should not be added to the growth of an economy or the growth of a of a country's GDP. Of course, that idea has not been uh, adopted, but that idea is so uh, sensible, so fascinating, that why... I gave the example of USA, that USA's present uh, GDP is $19 trillion. But because two billion, two trillion is spent every year on armaments, uh, running wars in countries like Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, etc., etc., and now in Venezuela, and uh, and uh, uh, and on the departments of like the uh, departments for home security, etc., etc. Uh, so, what is the purpose of those departments? Because, in a way, that they are stoking tension and they are stoking extremism. They are stoking terrorism. And the whole purpose of doing it is to buy more weapons. But when you buy weapons, the whole purpose of using a gun or a weapon is to kill people. So how can it be positive? When you buy a weapon, you kill people. We, we have a economy, we have got a capitalist economy in which 
we are brainwashed to think that it's the armaments. It is the more armaments the country has got, the more its streets are safer. So that is a, a, a false argument which has been uh, brainwashed or which has been into the citizens of not only U.S., U.K., Europe, and other India and all the other China and other countries, Russia. Because that gives the military more powers to buy or get the budget through very easily. And secondly, that because of that, you know, one of the CIA former, uh, I forgot his name for a second, but he said the whole purpose of CIA is to keep the world unstable. Because if you keep the world unstable, we keep stoking tensions and wars in different parts of the world. Then we have no problem. We will, we, uh, people will, or citizens will sanction as much money as the military wants. So that kind of a culture we have got. Yeah. So to, uh, to come to the GDP for peace argument, these should be eliminated from our gross domestic product. So by eliminate, eliminating these, we'll have a true, uh, we will know the true growth of economic prog progress a country is making. This is a fascinating idea, which I think countries should adopt. And, and then the United States would look on paper more like what it looks like in in reality when you when you come visit, right? Absolutely, I, I said that in 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 my book that it's the richest country in the world, having the the uh, the biggest GDP of the world, maybe it's twenty two trillion. When I wrote the book, it was nineteen trillion, or even more. But when you come to the United States, you see the reality. The infrastructure is collapsing. All the services are collapsing. Just It looks as if you have just come to a third world country. So if we were a bit more sensible, the leaders of the U.S., if, if they put some money in its infrastructure, and then it... You, you can see uh, not only it will produce more or better results for its economy, uh, it will be living, it will, you will see that we, it will feel like living in a first world country. So, so uh, that was one of the arguments I put in favor of the GDP for peace. It's it's a very good case. Uh, in about thirty seconds, uh, how can people learn more and get involved and help out if they like the idea of making peace centers and departments of peace? Well, we are all as individuals. Uh, I, I shall say little ripples of energy, and if we all unite together, we become a mighty current. And with this mighty current, we can uh, we can remove all the obstacles, oppression, injustices from the society, and pass or carve our way towards a more stable, 
peaceful world. All of us are responsible because we owe it to ourselves. It, living in, on this planet is like you have to pay your rent. And working for peace is, is like you are paying the rent for, for your week or monthly for the apartment you have or the... BJ Mehta, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.